Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Good morning, everybody. So good to be with you. I also want to take a moment and welcome anybody and everybody joining us online here for Easter Sunday. Uh, For anybody who maybe is brand new with us, for sake of introduction, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, my wife, Jossie, and I have four boys, Parker, Cohen, Brooks, and Smith and Associates. It's a little law firm that we put together. Uh, Really what that means is Jossie lives in a frat house. Raising five boys. In 2008, uh, we had three boys, and Jossie was pregnant with our fourth child, and we found out through ultrasound that we were going to have a little girl. We were so excited. She was going to be the most well-protected little girl in the state. Three older brothers and a dad. So excited about this little princess that was going to come into our world and wrap me around her finger. So excited for this bundle of joy, and we, the anticipation was building. And at eight months, Jossie called me uh, from her routine doctor's visit, and I was in the middle of a, an appointment during that day, and so I went to voicemail, and then she called again, and I went to voicemail, and then she called again, and I thought, I better interrupt this. And so I interrupted, and I could hear the fear and the pain on the other end. And the doctor had said to her that, that something was wrong and that we needed tests and we needed them from Denver. So as he was sending us to Children's Hospital, I ended the appointment, I rushed home, we got right in the car and we went to Children's Hospital and spent the next 24 hours there having doctors poke and prod and test. And we left Children's Hospital with no answers but just a big long list. A piece of paper that had printed out on front and back all the different possibilities and all but two of them were fatal and even the two that weren't, weren't great. We were scared, we were um, confused, and we were also a bit hopeful. We believe in a God who can do amazing things, so we spent time praying and inviting other people in to, in to pray with us and Two weeks later from arriving at Children's Hospital, Jossie calls me and says, I don't feel her heartbeat anymore. So we went to the hospital and they confirmed that there was no heartbeat and that our little girl had died. And 24 hours later, Jossie delivered a stillborn baby little girl. And a few days later, we found ourselves in a cemetery putting a tiny little baby coffin into the ground. And those days were some of the most difficult days. Unimaginable, unbearable pain, crazy pain. I I thought, I don't know if I can make it. It feels like my heart is shattered into a million pieces and so many questions and I don't understand and hurt. That was 2008, 2018, Jossie's mom, vibrant skiing, tennis, suddenly gone, a surprise, not expected. Again, grief and loss, she was bright, smiled, and joyful presence. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that these are just the couple of stories to the tip of an iceberg of pain and suffering that happens in our world every day and has 
for hundreds of years. We look across the globe and we see war, genocide. We see people dying of poverty and we see people without clean water and disease and, and we see closer to home and we see maybe some, somebody down the street that took their own life. And the losses and the pain they build and their separation of marriages and relationships, pain of what could have been and what won't be and pain of infertility and miscarriages and, and parents separated from children and, and distance and heartache and loss and physical pain, chronic pain, relational pain. Relational pain between races, relational pain across the globe, and not just one event, but ongoing. It seems, if we just look at that, that suffering and pain and evil is winning. Pain is the universal equalizer. And because of that, it connects us. I have a friend who recently sold his business for $100 million dollars. I can't imagine that, and I cannot relate to that, and I imagine that would be the case for most of us in the room to be able to see that many zeros in a bank account. Can't relate on that level, but we can relate on the level of pain in some form or another. You might be thinking, thanks for the invite. The universal equalizer, the universal connector, which also brings about a universal question. Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to anyone? But maybe there's a bigger question that we're actually trying to get to underneath it. And, and see, and that is, how do I deal with it? Is there a meaning behind it? Because if there's meaning associated with anything, oftentimes we can make it through. How do I go through this? Because we are meaning-making machines. We are always trying to make sense out of everything that goes on and happens in our lives. Throughout history, we've tried to make sense of the world. In ancient days, there was oftentimes the belief that that the gods were angry. And so the gods, in their anger towards one another or towards humanity, would, would just randomly exert their powers and, ex and extend suffering and pain and push it into the world. Or a world religion like Hinduism would say, well, just do your best in order to come back in another life and experience just a little less pain. Or a, a Buddhist might say, just detach pain from pain and pleasure. Because then that way, you won't have to deal with it if it doesn't impact you in any way, if you can somehow live in a state of detachment from it all. We have a worldview in our world today that, that, that says we just have to get the dials right. If we can just get the right politician and the right legislation and the right economic policy and the right technological advances and the, the right progress made in the world of medicine, then if all of the dials are just right, then all things will be better and we'll be able to avoid and eliminate this pain. 
But if we look back at the last hundred years, with all the advancements we've seen in so many different aspects of life, we have to ask the question, is life getting any better? And I would like to suggest to you today that Christianity in Jesus offers a much more and the most hopeful answer to the question of pain in all of history. See, God in the very beginning created a perfect world with no pain, zero pain. There was no suffering. There was no loss. There was no grief. There was no tears. There was no pain. It was as God designed it to be. It was the perfect garden of Eden and all was there to flourish. But quickly, sin, death, evil was invited into the world, which along with it comes pain and suffering. And we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see evil and death having its way, and we see pain after page after page after page after page. But God loved His creation and His world way too much to just leave it in that state and says, this is not the way that I designed it to be, and I cannot leave it in this place, and I've got to rescue it. And so he chooses a family to carry, be carriers of this hope. And through that family will come one day Jesus. And Jesus, born into the world, which in and of itself is a revolutionary idea that a God would come into the pain and the brokenness. And so many other perspectives and religions, gods are detached and gods are far away from and we're not actually enter into an experience the pain of the world. Jesus, born into it, walks around the Middle East and specifically around the Sea of Galilee and into Jerusalem and throughout his life experiences pain. And he makes his way to the cross and experiences the deepest depths of pain both physical, emotional separation and abandonment, rejection and betrayal. And ultimately, the ultimate pain of death. And it would seem like the world and the pain and the suffering and all the brokenness of the world had actually now taken Jesus out. Because doesn't it seem like when Evil is having its way. It looks like it's going to win. And that is until it doesn't. See, because Jesus was on the cross and then he went into a grave. And when even his closest followers thought it was all over, on the third day he came out of the grave. He came out of the grave. See, what looked like was the last word was not going to have the last word. Anybody ever seen the movie Black Panther? I have four boys, so I've never seen Frozen. So, <laughs> so anything Marvel, Star Wars, I'm your man, okay? Uh, Black Panther, uh, the main character, his name's T'Challa. He's the Black Panther, and he, towards the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, it looks like he is dead. He comes back to life, and he, he, he ends up, fighting his enemy, Eric Killmonger. Eric Killmonger is going to finally get rid of him, and so 
At one point towards the end of the movie, the Black Panther swarmed by all of these, of Eric Killmonger's cronies, if you will, and they're all coming after him and punching, and it looks like they're all swarming him. He's totally covered. He's not breaking out. It looks like it's over, but he's got this Black Panther suit on that absorbs and collects kinetic energy. And so with every punch, he gathers the energy from the punch or from the the stab or whatever it is that's happening to him in the moment. So with every punch, you might think that he's closer to death, but with every punch, he's actually closer to victory. And the same thing is true of Jesus. Because in Black Panther, he eventually kind of collects all the energy from the beatings and from everything that's happening. And and that's like Jesus. Just like him in the grave, looked like he's over. He's dead in the, in the tomb. And you think, oh yeah, he's done. Actually, he was absorbing it in order to defeat it. And he bursts out of the tomb. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's in this particular book. The Apostle Paul, who wrote it to the first century Corinthian church, was responding to some questions about the resurrection. And, and he starts off uh, early in, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 by saying, we are to be pitied if it weren't for the resurrection. If the resurrection is not true, our faith is to be pitied. I remember that re- reading that when I was younger and thinking, that doesn't make any sense. Why didn't he say, if it weren't for the cross, we should be pitied. Our faith should be pitied. Why do you say the resurrection? See, I thought that the resurrection was kind of like the like fireworks after the Super Bowl. Like, like the team wins and then there's fireworks around the stadium. And you think, that's cool, but it didn't matter. The game with or without the fireworks would have still been the game. The winner still would have been the winner. The loser would have been the loser. But resurrection isn't like fireworks after the Super Bowl. It's like the scoreboard of the Super Bowl. See, if nobody kept score and there wasn't a scoreboard to reflect that score, then, then it's just a game, running around, having fun with no particular ending and conclusion. And so what we have then is a tomb. That is, this is kind of cool. Jesus later after he raises from the dead, it says that he would walk through walls. Like the disciples were in a room and he would just show up and they didn't come through the door. Pretty amazing that he, that was what he would do. And they were like <gasps> scared. And then they asked him to eat fish and, you know, to make sure that he wasn't just a ghost or a figment of their imagination, that he was real. Meaning Jesus, the, the Bible says that the angel rolled the stone away from the tomb. Jesus can walk through that, that stone door. He didn't because he needed to show the world that he wasn't in there. It wasn't to let him out, it was to let us in. And so the resurrection is the way to communicate to the world that death is actually defeated. Scoreboard, Jesus won. Death, zero. Game over. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Paul's talking about resurrection bodies, and he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Firstfruits is an agricultural term, which means first of more to come. I'm not a farmer, but I do, we do have a garden. 
So we have a couple of raised beds, and I like to, I love checking on fruit and vegetables. And I go out there, and usually I'll come in, and it's usually tomatoes and maybe a couple of green beans. It usually fits in one hand, and I, because of 1 Corinthians 15, will walk into the house every year. First fruits, everybody! Mick Tompkins thinks that's really funny, and so I sent him a video this year of that. First fruits, everybody! Now, if that, what, what that means is it's not like, hey, everybody, we got two tomatoes and one green bean for the year. Isn't that awesome? It was worth all that work. No, no, no. That is just the beginning. There's going to be so much more to come in the months ahead. So when the Apostle Paul says first fruits, Jesus' first fruits, what's he saying? Jesus and his resurrection is the first of more resurrection to come. Then Jesus walks around the world, around the earth in his resurrected body walking through walls and telling people about what this is all about and people are celebrating and then he ascends into heaven but before he does he says he's going to come back one day and fully culminate everything and all things will be made right so you could say that the story of the world is broken up into three movements creation decreation and recreation recreation Initiated by Jesus in his death, burial, death, burial, and resurrection, culminated at his second, culminating in his second return. I love what N.T. Wright, British theologian, says. He says, what happened to Jesus on Easter will one day happen to the entire world. The whole world will have resurrection life. The whole world will be made right, which is why the apostle... John, in his book, the very last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, as he has a vision of the end and what it will look like when Jesus comes back, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He, he was having a vision. He's writing it down. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there's no longer any sea. S-E-A. You might be like, well, I kind of like the sea. Sea in first century Jewish imagination was the place where chaos and evil, suffering and pain lived. And he's saying, all that's gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. See, in the story of Jesus, in the story of the world, God doesn't dismiss pain. He enters it. Therefore, dignifying it. He doesn't bless it, but he doesn't waste it. He redeems it. The answer of Christianity to pain isn't escape. It's redemption. It isn't escape. We've got to get out of this world. No, it's I'm going to redeem it. There is, a, there is something that can, is going to happen in it. I will use it, God says in Romans chapter 8. Which is why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as the, the church from Thessalonica has some 
questions for the Apostle Paul who planted this particular church. They were wondering about death, and so he responds with this letter by saying, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's where our hope comes from. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Is he saying, don't cry. You shouldn't cry. Don't worry about it. No. Oh, we should cry. We should grieve. We should feel the pain. We're human. When you lose a little girl, stillborn baby girl, lose a mom, you lose a dad, we should cry. Lose a relationship, lose a dream, something's broken, there should have an impact. Grief is not bad. Tears are not bad. It's the reality of our humanity. He just says, grieve, yes, you're just going to grieve a little differently. Because your grief is going to be shot through with hope. Meaning, like I did in 2008, wept and wailed. But can look forward with hope to when I dance with my daughter. See, I remember thinking, I can't wait for her wedding. Prearranged, of course, but... can't wait for that day to dance with her and so put her into the ground I'm never going to no in fact to know resurrection bodies in a new resurrection no pain no 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 death no crying but there will be dancing I will dance with my daughter and Jossie will hug her mom again she will experience the brightness of her smile and the presence of, that, that brings so much joy to us and to the world around her. That will happen again in the new creation, new resurrection, resurrection bodies, resurrection creation. Which is why Frederick Buechner, the author, theologian, can say, because of the resurrection, the worst thing is never the last thing. Oh, it may be bad. It may hurt like crazy. It may be crazy pain. But it's not the last thing. And so the question for all of us here today is, do I have hope in the midst of suffering and pain? Suffering is a, and pain is, a, is an interesting thing. You can have everything that makes your life look successful. Anything that makes your life feel more comfortable. But it will cause you to look at your good life and either see that it doesn't matter or that it's not enough. Like, I don't care about that. Because we realize that those are the things that we don't put our hope in. And so the question is, do you have hope that will last through any suffering and bring us through? Suffering of any kind. Do we have hope? Not blind optimism, like, oh yeah, good attitude, and we can make it through. I'm talking about build your life on it, hope. Hope that I can rest my whole life on and say, this is it. 
pain's real, but hope is real. Do you find yourself in need of hope today? The hope of Jesus. We experience the fullness of that hope by putting our faith in Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. See, what it requires us to do is come to a place where we ask ourselves, who do I say Jesus is? It's kind of a spiritual inventory. It's kind of like, a, like at the beginning of a year, we might evaluate and look at our lives and say, what goals do I have for this year? I want to learn a language, or I'd like to eat better, or exercise more, or, or whatever. And we, we write it down. We set goals. And, and I think Easter oftentimes is the, such a good time in our lives where we might, we might take a personal inventory and say, who do I say Jesus is? Do I believe that he was who he said he is, or do I believe he rose from the dead? And what does that mean for me? C.S. Lewis, the writer of Chronicles of Narnia, as well as other books like Mere Christianity, said, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Meaning, he, did, he was a great teacher. He was a great human. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to disrupt something much bigger, to ultimately disrupt death and pain and suffering. And to send the world on a different trajectory. So my question for all of us, is who do we see Jesus is? Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I'm a, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. And he rose from the grave. But maybe you would say, I, I don't know if that, it looks like Jesus rose from the grave every, each day of my life in the way that I face pain and suffering. For others of you, maybe you'd say, I need hope and I, I want to put my faith and my and trust in Jesus today. If that's you, it's as simple as a prayer. The prayer is not everything. The prayer is just the beginning. The prayer is as simple as, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. If you say that, it is the beginning of a journey of faith. You say, well, what is faith? In the 1800s, there was a guy named Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a French acrobat. Picture will come up here on the screen. He was 5'5", 140 pounds. And in the 1850s, he proposed to the world that he was going to walk across a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Nobody had ever done it before. Anticipation builds. And on June 30th, 1859, 
a rope 1,300 feet long was stretched across the falls. 25,000 people in attendance watching with bated breath as it gets onto the tightrope with a 26-foot-long, 50-pound bar to help him with some balance. And over the course of the next 42 minutes, he walks across and back to the cheers and eruption of the crowd. Over the course of his lifetime, he went across the rope many, many times. In 1896, he actually went across 300 times. But he went across blindfolded one time. He went across with a wheelbarrow in front of him one time. One time he went across and sat down at a chair that they had somehow, he had rigged out there and he cooked an omelet. Had to one-up himself every time. Keep interest. And then one time he said to the crowd that had gathered at one point and he said, do you think that I could go across with somebody? With somebody else on my back? And they're like, ah! And he's like, who wants to volunteer? And they're like, there was no cheering and no hands raised. And so he calls to his manager. His manager's name was Harry Colcord. He said, Harry, do you believe I could go across with somebody on my back? He said, yes. Do you trust me enough to get on my back? Harry said, yes. So Harry jumps on to Charles' back and they get to the edge of the tightrope. Before they start walking, Charles says to Harry, in order for this to work, you've got to trust me. You've got to put your full weight on me. We actually have to almost become one, which means you've got to sway with me. You've got to move with me. And they start walking walk across and they walk back. See, it's one thing to believe, it's another thing to trust. So the question for all of us is, will we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, the weight of our lives, onto Him for our ultimate hope? Maybe as you evaluate where you're at, you would say, I'm just, I'm curious about Jesus. Or maybe you would identify yourself in a different place that maybe not any of those three. Wherever you find yourself, I mentioned just a moment ago, it's helpful to kind of write it down. I write down my, my, my goals at the beginning of a year or my thoughts and reflections on what is to come. And so I want to ask each one of us to do the same on your connection card, if everybody would grab your connection card. No matter where you find yourself, no matter how you would answer that question, we just grab that card and grab a pen. There's a pen on an armrest near you as well. You just grab that, and on the bottom, there's four boxes, A, B, C, and D. A, you just be indicating to yourself See, there's something about getting it out of our heads and out of our hearts and into the air and onto something. It makes it a little more real. It causes us to actually think about it maybe a little bit more specifically. And so if you would say, I'm, I've already placed my faith in Jesus, but maybe that means that you're also in a place where 
You need to live, and I believe, but I need to trust. Maybe you're here today, and maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus today. If that's you, would you just indicate box B? Maybe you would say, I'm curious about Jesus. Maybe what you've heard today piqued your interest. You have curiosities and questions. If that's you, would you indicate C on the card? Or maybe it's not one of those three. Would you check D, the box that says other? Maybe you would write underneath there as a, how would you describe yourself? How would you answer the question, what do I say about Jesus? Not, what do I say about church? And how do I think about church people? Because unfortunately, the church and church people don't always represent Jesus well. But who do you say Jesus is? That's the question for all of us. And will we not just believe, but trust? And so wherever you find yourself here this morning, let's take a moment and pray for us all. Father, we thank you that the pain, suffering, death, and evil of the world, not only was it not your original plan, but you also weren't okay to leave your world like that. So you did something about it by entering the pain, entering the suffering, experiencing the fullness of death. But God, we thank you that with every nail punch, nail and every thorn and every beating, it was as if you were collecting enough energy to overcome death, and you came out of that grave. And so God, wherever we find ourselves, would you help us to answer that question? And would you help us all to trust you in a greater way? We thank you for resurrection. We thank you for hope. I pray that no matter what experiences we have in life, good, bad, or ugly, no matter how deep the pain might, we might experience in life, God, I pray that we would experience them with the hope of resurrection in mind. This we pray in the powerful, death-defeating, life-altering history, trajectory-changing name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.